choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And because this is the final Sunday in the month of March, it is my great pleasure to welcome into the studio Howard Parkin, helping us to look at the March Manx Sky at Night. First am I, Howard. Uh, good fast am I, Judith. And how are you this evening? I'm very well, thanks, Judith. It's great to be here again, and uh, hopefully we can share our ideas of what's visible in the night sky at the moment. For the benefit of our casual astronomers. That's the one. That's what we were talking about last month. Our army we? of casual astronomers. There's certainly a few of them. So, what's the top story this month, Howard? Venus is just dominating the sky still. In fact, this is the last month I'll probably headline it because it is going to drop very fast. Venus is a planet going around the sun. It's inside the orbit of the Earth and, and the sun. And it moves quite quickly. Mercury goes quicker, but of course Venus is the next one out. And what's happening is Venus is getting higher and higher in the sky until it reaches a point called greatest eastern elongation, which is astronomers' word for saying the maximum distance it gets from the sun before it comes back inside the orbit of the Earth and the sun. And it actually went through greatest elong eastern elongation just five days ago. It actually did that, and now it's reached its peak and it's going to start dropping back down towards, towards the sun. But what is going to happen as well is this is a famous discovery from Galileo back in 1610. You look at Venus through a telescope, it just looks like a star. Big telescope, it's a disk. But it shows phases just like the moon and just like we see on the moon. And at the moment, it's what we call a gibbous phase. It's going back at the greatest eastern elongation. It was a half phase. Now it's going to come between the Earth and the sun. And it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But at the same time, the phase is going to drop to a crescent. And Venus was at its maximum distance from the sun just five days ago at eastern elongation. But it's actually going to be at its brightest on the 28th of April in about a month's time when it will actually be a very thin crescent. But of course, because it's come nearer, the crescent will be much bigger. So the angular size of the crescent is bigger than the half phase it is now. A bit complicated, but that discovery by Galileo back in 1610 when he first used a telescope led him to believe that the planets go round the sun and not round the Earth. And that momentous discovery of 400 years ago, actually, we can see in the night sky, in the Manx night sky, over the course of the next few weeks. Because it moves, as I say, from greatest distance from the sun to greatest brightness about a month later. Now, what have we got? Super moon? Yeah, well, the moon, of course, as I mentioned last month, the moon always comes round every month, every 28 days. It rolls round. It's as regular as clockwork. And the moon, of course, is tracking through the various phenomena in the sky. It's going past Venus very early um, in the month. And then it will go through this lovely group of stars called the Pleiades on the 8th of April. Now, I mentioned the Hyades star cluster last month. But this month, the moon is a little bit higher. And it's going to go through this wonderful group of stars. The amount of people who say to me, what's that group of fuzzy stars in the sky? That's the Pleiades star cluster the seven sisters who are crying for the lost sister and they always appear in the sky at the watery time of the year uh, for the first time in october september october when the nile floods see all the legends come in again yeah. but the seven sisters is, a, is the name of the stars it's a young star cluster uh, and the moon's going to go straight through them on the 3rd of april so again get your binoculars out and look at the moon around the third and look for this group of stars and as I mentioned last month when we're looking at the other cluster, um, the moon is too bright, you won't see the stars. So you do need, joking aside, you do need binoculars or a telescope. But 
the moon isn't full. So what will happen, you'll look at the moon, it's a crescent or a half, I'm not sure exactly which phase it's at by then, but um, it'll, the star will just disappear because it's gone behind the dark limb of the moon and then it'll reappear against the bright limb of the moon because that's the direction the moon is going in. And it's fascinating to see and um, astronomers can make very extensive um, observations of these. And if you get what we call a grazing occultation, I'm getting technical now, but if you get a star that the moon goes past and the star is right at the edge of the moon, the starlight goes on, off, on, off, on, off. Because the moon's edge is not smooth. It's got mountains and valleys. So what happens is the starlight comes through the valley, then it goes behind a mountain, then it goes through another valley. And using that information, you can measure with very high precision the distance of the moon to the earth. And they're called grazing occultations. And we've actually got a couple of them taking place in the Isle of Man. Not bright stars, faint stars, but they're well worth looking for. And it's fascinating to see it. And then imagine how could you explain this many years ago? The moon isn't smooth. It's got jagged. It's like mountains, like Snaefell and all the rest. Yeah. So that's what a grazing occultation is. But if you didn't know what the surface of the moon was like, you could see how legend would develop. Oh, the the light's the... being turned on and off. Yeah. The man doesn't like the moon being near, so he's switching the light on off. So let's just hope that in a, in a few days' time, on the 3rd, we get some nice, yeah, nice clear got... skies. And let's face it, it's getting towards April. Spring is coming, as we'll talk about a bit later on. So we've got a chance of getting a good few clear nights. So fingers crossed yeah. we can look for the moon glow gliding through this area of the sky. Of course, the bull, incidentally, that's the area of the sky. It's the shoulder of the bull, the Pleiades, is the, the stars to the right-hand side of um, the main stars of Taurus. Now, you don't like me saying supermoon, do you? Oh, get me cross out. <laughs> the moon is not in a circular orbit around the Earth. It's in an elliptical orbit. And sometimes the, the moon is closer to the Earth, sometimes it's further away. So now it is defined, a supermoon is defined as when the moon is within 90% of its nearest to the Earth. And if a full moon or a new moon occurs within that 90%, so a quarter of a circle, it's called a supermoon. It means that the moon is, to be accurate, it is slightly bigger. It can actually be as much as 13% bigger angular size than it would be if it's at its furthest away from the Earth. But you put a supermoon alongside the alternative, which is the wimpy moon, which isn't official name. It's one I invented, and I think it's most appropriate, because when the moon is further away, it will look a little bit smaller. And if you show a supermoon next to a wimpy moon, you can see the difference, 13%. But it's not a huge amount, and you never, of course, see the two moons side by side. Mm -mm. But... Hey, if it makes people look up at the moon and we've got the best supermoon of the year taking place on the 8th of April when the moon will be exactly 367,607 kilometres from the Earth. It's the fourth supermoon of the year and the best and the brightest. So you've got the facts, but I still don't like it. Yeah, but the moon is pretty super any time. You know, I talk about dark skies. It's one of my topics I talk about quite often. The biggest source of light pollution in the world at night is the moon. <laughs> because when we look for the Milky Way, when the moon is up, you can't see it. The moon drowns out the light. Even the opposite horizon, you will not see the, the Milky Way. You can only see the Milky Way when we've got no moon in the sky, which is why most astronomers who are keen, amateur astronomers who go out doing lots of stargazing looking for faint objects, uh, you'll find they will only go out every two weeks um, each side, you know, a week each side of the new moon, yeah. because the moon is a terrible form of light pollution. Mm. Spring constellations, uh, we've got Leo and Virgo. Yes, we have indeed, because, of course, we talk, spoke last month about the fact that Orion and Gemini and all the winter constellations are now falling down towards the west. So what's happening, of course, is the stars of the next season, of course, you've got the stars of spring coming up. Now, the stars of spring are quite spectacular in their own right. We've got the constellations of Cancer, we've got Leo and we've got Virgo. They're the three principal spring constellations, um, but they're not a patch on Orion and his friends. 
I often use the example of 13 stars in the top 25 brightest stars in the night sky. 13 of them are visible in the winter months in the south. In the spring, you've got three. You've got Arcturus, Regulus and Spica, the three principal stars of uh, Bertie's the Herdsman, Leo the Lion and Virgo the Virgin. And that's it. You've got three compared to 13. So any casual observer going outside will notice that in the spring, yes, the nights are getting lighter, but the profusion of bright stars just isn't there. They're all setting in the west. And Leo is one of the few constellations that looks a bit like what it's meant to represent. If you look at Leo and you look at the shape of Leo, the classic shape of Leo is a crouching lion and his big head at the right-hand side of the lion. We call it the sickle or the reverse question mark of the lion's head. And Leo probably more than most constellations, does look a bit like a lion. Never mind if you don't know the name of it or you can't identify it or whatever. Just enjoy it. Enjoy. So it would Make seem your own shape so. As long as you enjoy it. So it would seem to me very appropriate that you've chosen for us this month as our song, What a Wonderful World. I see trees of green Red roses too I see them blue for me and you and I think to myself what a wonderful world I see skies of blue and clouds of white the bright blessed day the dark sacred night and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands. Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you I hear babies cry I watch them grow They learn much more Than I never knew And I think to myself what a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful That is such a beautiful song, isn't it? Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. No specific moon and stars and no. sky reference to it, but a reason why you've chosen yeah, very it. Very much so. And uh, this song was motivated to me to play this for this month because of something NASA did only a few weeks ago. On the 14th of February, 1990, when the Voyager spacecraft, Voyager 1, had concluded its flyby of the Saturn system, Carl Sagan, known and loved by all of us, and anything to do with astronomy. A wonderful narrator. He was like the American version of Patrick Moore. And he's just a wonderful man. I can hear his voice now in my head. He requested that NASA 
turned on the cameras of Voyager 1 and took a photograph of the solar system from out beyond the orbit of Saturn, looking back towards the sun and take a picture of what we could see of the inner solar system. So NASA did what he suggested. This was the last time the cameras would be used because they weren't going to use them again. Even now, if they could turn them back on again, we haven't got the technology to interpret the signals because we've moved on so much. But they managed to take a picture of six of the eight planets. They took a picture of all but Mercury and Mars. And all you can see on this photograph is about 50, 60 photographs. And all you can see is dots, little tiny dots. And you've got the dot of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Venus and the Earth. And what was the most profound experience I think I've ever heard in a film or a video, and I strongly recommend this to everybody, it's called the Pale Blue Dot. And you'll find it on YouTube, you'll find it everywhere. NASA, to celebrate the taking of this particular picture 30 years ago, they re-engineered it. They enhanced the picture. And all you can see is like a beam, a beam going across this picture. It's a sunbeam. It's a photographic artifact of the photograph. And in the middle of this beam is a dot, a tiny, tiny dot, which has got a hint of blue in it. And Carl Sagan called this the pale blue dot. And the pale blue dot, he then goes on to narrate, and I can't possibly do what Carl Sagan does, but he goes on and he says, this is us. This is where we are. This is where every human being that has ever lived, every human being that has ever been born, every auntie, uncle, mother, father, son, daughter, everybody, every despot, every military general, everybody who's had dreams and aspirations, they've all lived on that tiny, tiny pale blue dot, which is just a mote of dust on a sunbeam most profound thing I think I've ever heard. And they've just re-released this picture. And I strongly recommend everybody to get hold of that video and watch it. You will not, I, I, I would be surprised if you're not moved by it. And it makes you really think how fragile we are. But then again, we had the ability to take this wonderful picture. And it, it just really was the most profound image I think that's ever been taken in the space era. And um, I'm glad they re-released it. I've just done this lecture, I think I was mentioning a few weeks ago, uh, about my Ad Astra lecture, which is about spacecraft going out to the stars. And of course, that little video finishes my lecture because it just is so profound. I think it's the right word for it. It's everything that we're always really trying to say. Yeah. You have all kinds of information for us. But the exquisite beauty, the the mystery, the magic, the all that we can't explain yeah. is the most precious part of it, yeah. really, isn't it? That's right. It's just a pixel. It's just a tiny pixel in the middle of a... As I say, it's got this beam going through it, which is, ironically, of all the other planets, it's the only one that's got this beam going through it. But... Um, he just had a way with words, did Carl Sagan, and sadly we lost him in 1997. But uh, it was him who insisted we sent that um, record out on Voyager to commemorate or to show how we were. And I think I've mentioned before, I think we played the record a few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, Johnny Be Good by uh, Chuck Berry. We did, yes. yeah. I, again, in my lecture, I, I play Beethoven's Fifth. And then I follow it with Chuck Berry. I mean, where else are you going to get that in a lecture? <laughs> Beethoven's Fifth, followed by it, Chuck Berry. It, it was part of this time capsule to, yes. to, that kind yeah. of said what, what we were all about. Yeah. And yeah, I, and I think it was probably a fair choice. It was a fair choice. And there's a lovely letter from Carl Sagan to Chuck Berry saying, um, most people say, yeah, you hope your music will live forever, yours will. It's on its way out to um, wherever. And the last line is, go, Johnny, go. <laughs> <laughs> and the car's saying he was an amazing character, and as I say, a pale blue dot it's called. Well worth looking for. 
when we were talking last month, there was somebody that we were going to talk about, but unfortunately we were beaten by the clock. And you were mourning the loss of somebody yes. who made a huge contribution, Heather Cooper. Yes, she did. Heather Cooper and Nigel Henbest have always gone together as a double act. And then um, Nigel Henbest came to the Isle of Man a few years ago. I did a TV programme with him. Um, and he's a partner with Heather Cooper. They were business partners. And they wrote lots of books, did lots of TV shows and everything else. And then out of the blue, only a few weeks ago, I got an email message from Nigel that said, sadly, Heather passed away um, from a short illness. She was age 70 and she did so much. She was on Sky at Night all those years ago. She did so much to infuse people about astronomy. She did perhaps a little bit. Uh, I do a little bit of what she did. And it's this idea of having a, an interest or a subject you're interested in and infusing people about it and getting the next generation involved and, and Heather did that very very well indeed and she's a great loss and at 70s these days it's not it's not old at all it's no age and um, it's a great it's a great loss to the astronomical community and um, I'm sure Nigel who ran uh, Hencoop Enterprises was the name of their company and um, he'll be he'll be mourning her loss and uh, our thoughts go with him but at least she's left a body of work behind oh most certainly has I mean when I first started teaching my night school classes I had no videos. I had no computer hardly. I used OHPs and um, 35mm slides and I found this wonderful series called The Planets with Heather Cooper and I've still got the videos and they're each 30 minutes long so I used to play little snatches of that and uh, she was just an enthusiastic astronomer and uh, but sadly no longer with us. But I do think if if a person can leave behind a body of work then you feel that they've got a legacy. Yeah, they've left they've a legacy a, behind. And, and people who never met her for to whom the name will mean nothing will still benefit yeah. from her work. Absolutely Which right. is, and, and that's true of any field, isn't it? Of course it, it is. I yeah. mean, Patrick Moore was the other one, of course, probably the most famous, but Heather Cooper was certainly up there on the list. He was such a character. Oh, was he? Wasn't Absolutely. he? He was just, just, with his music and everything, he was yeah, we just... Could, we, we could do a programme on Patrick Moore. Maybe we, we should. We, <laughs> cert we certainly could. Well, it would certainly bring back some very good memories yeah, for people. Would. Just something that we haven't mentioned. You haven't talked about any meteor showers for a couple of months. No, no, I haven't, because basically, um, after the quadranted meteor shower at the beginning of January, which is always after Christmas and people tend to forget about it. We don't get any meteor showers, not any decent ones, until the end of April when we get the Lyrid meteor shower. Now, the Lyrid meteor shower comes from a constellation called Lyra, the harp, which is one of our summer constellations. We spoke about the winter constellations setting and the spring constellations coming through. Well, as the spring ones come through, they bring up the summer ones. And the, the constellation of Lyra has a wonderful meteor shower in it every year on around the 21st, 22nd of April, which is before our next show. So... The moon will not be in the way. There'll be no moonlight to interfere, just as we were talking about light pollution before. The moon will be gone, so the good chance to see meteors. So around the 20th, 22nd of April, so it's a couple of weeks after Easter, look towards the eastern horizon. And you don't need to worry where Lyra is or where the constellations are. Just look towards the eastern uh, horizon. And as you do, you might see some shooting stars around midnight time coming up from the horizon. They can go in any direction, but they'll all seem to track back to one point, which is where the radiant point is. And they're always well worth looking for. And they come from the dust of Comet Thatcher. Nothing to do with Maggie Thatcher. Comet Thatcher was discovered by an astronomer called Thatcher many years ago. These are fireworks, uh, if you like, in the celestial sky from the comet, uh, which burn up in our atmosphere. And it's the first sort of decent-ish meteor shower we get of the year after the ones we have over the Christmas period. So, round about the 22nd of April, Howard was supposed to be off on a cruise where he's a lecturer. He was supposed to be away doing that, so we recorded a programme. But, of course, whilst Howard was away, things changed greatly and the cruise was curtailed. The cruise liners had to stop their operation and Howard flew home. 
But, of course, he flew home to a very changed Ireland than he left. He flew home and had with his wife to go straight into self-isolation, which is where he is now. But he's on the phone from home in Onken. And good evening, Fast and Mai, to you, Howard. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Judith. Fast and Mai to you. Well, we couldn't have picked a better night. We decided, no, we talked, didn't we? stunning night. It really is a beautiful, crystal clear night. If We couldn't have re- rehearsed this better. We couldn't, because we decided uh, as soon as you came home that we would try, I would re-edit the programme and then have a chat with you on the phone. Mm-hmm. But as you say, a superb night. And come on, tell me, you're doing what you encourage us to do. You're out in the garden I'm in a chair, there. aren't you? Sitting in a garden chair in the back of my garden. I'm a bit cold because I didn't get dressed warm enough, which is the first thing you need to do is dress <laughs> up warm. And I'm sat here looking at the moon. And just below the moon, to the right-hand side of the moon, is the planet Venus, which is absolutely bright as a beacon. It's really very, very bright indeed. And for those interested, those of you, quickly get your coats on and go outside. I thought we'd give you a quick guided tour of the night sky. I think that would be excellent. So uh, just a moment for you now. Grab a coat. Don't be like Howard. Don't catch a cold. And, and And if you can, just get outside and you can stargaze with Howard Parkin live from a location... From a, from a self-isolated location in Onken. Away you go, Howard. Right. Well, the first thing I want everybody to do is look for the moon. If you can't find the moon, well, give up and go and have a drink. But if you can find the moon for me, you're looking pretty well due west. You're looking west towards the moon. And just down, if we put the moon at the centre of a clock, uh, at about four o'clock, very, very bright, not totally uh, easy to spot, is the planet Venus. But just up from the planet Venus, between Venus and the moon, but up a bit, we've got this lovely group of stars called the Pleiades, this open cluster of stars called the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, I spoke of earlier in the program. Now, this group of stars is going to be very special in a few days' time because Venus is actually going to pass through them. It'll make a wonderful view for a pair of binoculars or even with the naked eye because this is quite rare to get Venus this high up in the sky at this time of the year. And so that's the first thing I want you to look for, that lovely little group of stars between the Moon and Venus, but up a bit, the Pleiades. Now go back to the Moon. I'm going to do this quite quickly because I appreciate we've only got a little bit of time. Go to the Moon, and just below the Moon, literally at at the 8 o'clock position to the Moon, uh, we've got a star called Aldebaran. That's the brightest star in Taurus the Bull. But now move to the right of that, and you'll see three stars in the line, pretty well pointing up towards the moon. Those are the three stars of the belt of Orion. Above those three stars, straight up from those three stars, we've got the star Betelgeuse, and Betelgeuse is the one that has been fading and is now coming back to its normal brightness, we believe. That's the one that could go supernova, we think, in about a thousand years' time. Now, you can tell I'm cold because I'm shivering. (laughs) (laughs) On the horizon, on the southern horizon or the southwestern horizon, we've got a very bright star, and that's the brightest star in the night sky. That's the star Sirius. Now, if we go up from Sirius, go straight up, and you'll come to one star pretty well on its own, and then keep going up again, you'll come to two stars. And those two stars are the two stars of Gemini. So I mentioned earlier in the recorded part of the program, the the, the sky we're looking at at the moment, the western sky, these are the stars of winter. And there's many, many bright stars. As I said, I think there's 13 in the top 25. So now what we want to do is turn around completely, turn around completely, 180 degrees, and look towards the eastern horizon. You'll see a number of bright stars, In particular, if you look directly overhead almost, you'll see the stars of the plough, Ursa Major, the Big Bear. 
And if you find the stars of the plough, follow the handle of the plough down, the curve of the handle down, you'll come to a star, a star which is quite bright. And this is a star Arcturus, one of the brightest of the spring constellations. And then turn back towards the south, and this is where you've got to use your imagination. Can you see the lion? There is a lion in the sky. And the lion is made up of the stars of Leo, obviously, in the name of the lion. But the bright star Regulus at the bottom of a question mark. If you go to the stars I mentioned before, the two stars of Gemini and the star Arcturus I mentioned a minute ago, draw a line between them and you'll see slightly off the middle a reversed question mark with a bright star at the bottom. That's the head of the lion. This is Leo the lion, which is my birth sign, incidentally, which is one of the brightest of our spring constellations. But if we go back to the plough, which is overhead, and we'll probably, um, I think we'll probably have to finish about this time now. But if we go to the stars of the plough, go to the star which is almost directly overhead, one of the two stars that make up what we call the pointers, and they point to the North Star. I'm looking at the North Star now, and the North Star is 54 degrees above our horizon. It's uh, uh, where it is because it's facing due north. And to the left of that, we've got a lovely W shape or an M shape constellation, the constellation of Cassiopeia. And that is a, a quick lightning tour of the sky, Judith. I hope that was of, of some interest to everybody. I don't know how much time we've got left. Howard, we've, we've got a few more moments. There was right. no way on earth that I was going to interrupt that because it was just wonderful. It's, it's what we wish we could always do on this, this programme, isn't it? Yeah, I wish really. we could do this more often. If I could do this every month, it'd be fantastic. Instead of rushing around trying to show you everything, I would um, concentrate in just one part of the sky. But what we will do is we'll just carry on for a little bit, go back to the moon and go straight up from the moon and you'll come to a pentagon-shaped of stars, a five-sided sort of um, a pentagon shape. These are the stars of Auriga the charioteer. What does it look like to you? I know you can't see it, Judith, but anyone who's listening, does it look anything like um, a man in a chariot? Well, it doesn't look like anything like that to me either. But this is the constellation of Auriga, and Auriga represents Erethonius, and Erethonius is the guy who invented the chariot, hence he's been placed in the sky for all eternity to look at us from the winter sky. And on the right of him, you've got three stars which make up a little tiny triangle. You might be able to see that faint triangle. Those are goats, because the, tri the guy who drove the chariot also looked after goats. So he's got a goat, three goats, under his arm as he's thundering across the sky in his chariot. There's some wonderful stories in the skies, obviously, which I talk about from time to time. But some of them, they sound silly, but when you think about the, what they were doing... Now, if we look up at the sky now, go back to Leo, there's a satellite going straight through the constellation of Leo at the moment. Um, go back to head due south, um, bright star Sirius on the bottom, uh, Arcturus, um, we mentioned before, the question mark of Leo, just gone through the question mark of Leo, we have a satellite just going through. Incidentally, we had a wonderful view of the space station um, about half past eight tonight. The space station went across the sky very, very bright indeed, very, very high up, almost as bright as Venus, and uh, close to the moon as well. It was a wonderful sight, and uh, quite a few people I know have put that on Facebook already. And uh, hopefully we're going to get some more clear nights. It might be cold, but we don't mind the cold because we've got these wonderful skies. And even the moon isn't causing us too much trouble because it's not even a half moon yet, so we've still got plenty of dark skies to look at. 
Howard, I, I'm, I really, I, I wish we could talk more. We could, as you said, as you said when we were preparing for this a moment ago, you said you could talk for an hour and you could, and you would, and I'm absolutely enthralled. I'm, I'm just so sorry that where I am, I can't actually see no. the night sky. But you have, you have literally painted a wonderful word picture, and so. thank you for that. And that is all from Howard Parkin, who is in self isolation. It ends on Thursday for you, doesn't it, Howard? Thursday it evening. Thursday half past six. My wife and I are going for out for a. Uh, a necessary exercise, essential <laughs> exercise on Thursday night. <laughs> well, at the moment... We've been out there property um, since uh, we got back two weeks uh, we last Thursday. Well, I know that you have been meticulously observing the rules we and you've had people looking after you there. But uh, I must just say, Judith, I'm very grateful. I won't name anybody and embarrass them, but I've been so many people have been so kind helping us getting stuff when we've run out of stuff. I really appreciate it. It really does make you realise how wonderful spirit we've got in the Isle of Man and I'm very grateful for everyone's help and I hope I can help them in some other way um, in the next few weeks and months. You're right. It is the wonderful spirit of, of cooperation on this island. We're in it together. We will get through it together and we'll keep up each other's spirits as much as we need to. Howard, go back in the house now. Stargazing from the back door. Go in the house and get a nice hot cup of tea and we'll look forward to talking to you again on the final Sunday in the month of April. Faster my, Howard. Be it live or recorded, whatever, we'll be there. We'll thank be there. And thank you for all you do. Good night. 